You can turn to Romans chapter 12. Back in Romans today, subject of spiritual gifts. So I'll start with a little story here. Two men were marooned on a tiny island. One man paced back and forth, worried. He was dreadfully frightened. While the other man sat back, whistling and sunning himself. So the first man said, aren't you afraid that we're going to die here? Nope, said the second man. How can you be so sure, the first man asked. Well, he said, I make $100,000 a month, and I tithe faithfully to my church. My pastor will find me. (laughs) Anything to do with the subject of giving is not the easiest topic for a pastor to preach on. And if you've been coming here over the years then you know that I have not made that a focus. God has always provided. But that said, the Bible does have a lot to say about money. Old Testament and New Testament. About using it wisely. About giving. About not giving as you should be giving. About accumulating wealth. What does it profit a man? Jesus said if he gains the whole world. And loses his own soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So Pastor Kent Hughes writes that wealth has its disadvantages. It is difficult to have it and not trust in it. And material possessions tend to focus one's thoughts and interests on this world alone. Managing their their money. It can enslave so that one becomes possessed by possessions, comforts, and recreations. And Jesus said the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke out the word of God. That's in Mark chapter 4, verse 19. And in James chapter 4, James says, Come now you who say today or tomorrow, We will go into such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So now in Romans 12, we come to the subject of spiritual gifts and the gift of giving. And just let me say that as with some of the other gifts that are listed here, such as mercy, or the gift of exhortation, the gift of teaching, the fact that your spiritual gift may not be the gift of giving doesn't excuse you from giving. You may not have the gift of mercy, but you are commanded to show mercy. You may not have the gift of exhortation, 
But you are commanded to encourage and admonish and exhort one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, you may not have the gift of faith. But nevertheless, we need to exercise faith, trust in God. So every Christian has a responsibility to give of their income, whether or not they have the gift of giving to support the Lord's work. Let's look in Romans chapter 12, verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. And 1 Corinthians 12 reminds us that it's the Holy Spirit who bestows those gifts. Whether prophecy, let us prophecy according to the proportion of faith or ministry, that's gift of serving, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorts on exhortation. Let him exhort is what he is saying. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that you have so ordained that your people should come together. Lord, on a day set apart to worship you, to hear from your word. And Father, I realize, completely realize that of myself, I am, I am not sufficient for this hour. I am I'm not sufficient to bring your word. I thank you, God, for the spirit that you have given to me to help me better understand it so I can communicate some things to these people. And Lord, I thank you for each one who studies diligently the word of God to see if those things are true that they hear preached. The spirit of discernment. Lord, we, we ask only that Jesus in this hour would receive the honor due his name and that, Father, you would build up your people so that your people can do the work of the ministry and reach others for Jesus Christ. Father, we do pray in his name and ask it for his glory. Amen. So the gift of giving, you could read different definitions of it. I just put this one down. The special ability given by the Holy Spirit to certain Christians to use their material resources to meet genuine needs in the body of Christ in a generous and a cheerful manner. And those with the gift of giving have a proper view and use of temporal things. They hold them very lightly. And they have a proper view of the things that they possess in relation to other things. They know that life is a vapor, so they lay up treasures in heaven, where moth and rust doth not corrupt, where thieves cannot enter in and steal. And they do so, but not to the neglect of meeting genuine needs here on earth, because there are, there are plenty of needs within the body of Christ, there are plenty of needs outside the body of Christ in this world. 1 John 3.17 reminds us, whoever has this world's goods... When I think about that, I think about where we are as Americans in comparison to the rest of the world. We have the world's goods. We really do. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brothers have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, he's not moved by their plight. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed 
and in truth. In other words, put our faith into action, into practice. So in Romans chapter 12, Paul wrote here that the one who gives is to to give with simplicity. He who gives with liberality, my translation says. The word give there is a really simple Greek verb and it means to share with, to share with. So you give something that you have. You're sharing it with someone else. It, It means to relinquish your ownership of that thing. You give it to somebody else. Some people hoard their wealth. Other people share their wealth. And the Bible says that those who have the gift of giving, they do it with simplicity, with simplicity. The Greek word there is aplotes, and it's the virtue of someone who is free from pretense and hypocrisy. Literally, it means single-minded, or as Thayer's Greek lexicon translates it, without folds, multiple folds, a single fold referring to an undivided focus without a secret or double agenda, a hidden agenda. Some people give because they have another agenda in mind. James Denny says when they give, they do so because they see and feel the need and for no other reason. They have no ulterior motives. The word ulterior means uh, lying behind what, what, what is evident. It's hidden. So if you, if you have an ulterior motive, you're not revealing that to people. You're, you're, you're concealing that. But the people who give, they're single-minded. They're hoplotes givers. And they have a single eye. And this is an interesting thing. Because in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, a single eye is, is an idiom for generosity. That's what it means to have a single eye. Luke eleven thirty four. The light of the body is the eye. This is no mystical verse like some of the Eastern mystics quote it. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, aplos, generous, the whole body is full of light. But when your eye is evil, the body is full of darkness. So when it comes to giving, we're to, we're to, be, we're to have a single eye. No duplicity, no hidden motive in our giving. The antonym of hoplos is diplos, double. That's what it means. In English, you get the word duplicity, duplicity. 1 Timothy 5, 7 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double, and this is just the simple use of the word diplos as opposed to hoplos, double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. That's a positive occurrence of the word. But Jesus condemned diplos givers, double-minded givers. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Jesus said these words, Take heed that you do not your alms before men, that you don't give before men to be seen of them. So there is the ulterior motive. They were giving to be seen of others. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father who is in heaven. Therefore, when you do your alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues in the streets. I mean, they would ring the shofar. They would blow the shofar. And we can't imagine somebody doing that. 
that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you do alms or when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I mean, don't even think about it. If you're moved, you know, with the bowels of compassion to give, don't even think about it. You just give. Your right hand should know what your left is doing. That your alms may be in secret, given in secret. And the Father who sees in secret himself shall reward you openly. Now, there's nothing wrong with churches taking up an offering. We do that from time to time here. But we, we have an offering box in the back. So people come in and they just give in secret. And the only people who know what anybody in this church gives are the people who keep the books, who open the envelopes. And there's, there's a couple of them and no more. I don't even know, and I don't care to know what people give. But let's give some examples of givers in the Bible. And the first would be one that you're already familiar with, and that was Barnabas. And that's in Acts chapter 4. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, because I have marked down here, Barnabas was a single-minded giver. He was a, he was a, a hoplos giver. Acts 4.34 says, Neither was there any among them that lacked in the early church. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and they laid them at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had a need. And Hoseis, Joseis, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, right? He, he had the gift of uh, encouragement. But notice it says a Levite. Levites weren't supposed to possess lands, so, but he had lands. And he was in the country of Cyprus. And perhaps it was okay outside of Jerusalem or Israel to possess lands. We don't know how he got them. Maybe there was no restriction at that time. But nevertheless, being a Levite, he possessed lands. But look what it says in, in verse 37. Having sold it and brought the money, he laid it at the apostles' feet. And, you know, I, the indication to me here is that, that he gave freely and he gave generously. So I say that perhaps Barnabas had the gift of, of giving as well as the gift of exhortation or encouragement. And I think that there is a definite link between those two gifts. Because when you give and you meet someone's need, you really do encourage them very much. And, and that's a good way to, to do it. On the other hand, Ananias and Sapphira, they were, they were diplos givers. They were double-minded givers. Look in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. beginning in the first verse. But a certain main man named Ananias, with Sapphira, his wife, sold the possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it. So they were the only two in on this plot. They were, this, this was duplicity. And they brought a certain part of it, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said unto Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? 
While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have lied not to men, but to God. And now notice in verse 3, he said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And in verse 4, he says, you lied not to men, but to God, which tells us that what? The Holy Spirit is God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So here was the result. Great fear came upon all those who heard these things. I think we all would be in fear. Am I next? You know, I mean, you know, wow. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him and buried him. And three hours later, his wife came in. She didn't know what happened. And Peter said, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. I mean, it's quite a story there, right? So they sell this property. They give only some of the proceeds to the apostles. But the indication is that they were making like they were given the whole thing. There was a hidden, there was a, there was a hidden part to this story. You can, fool some, you can fool some men all the time. You can fool, fill, fool all men part of the time. But God never. You can never fool God. He sees what we really are. His eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He sees what we really are. And he sees what we really do. 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance, that's Eliab, tall man, you know, candidate, good candidate for king, or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In the story we read or we had in the bulletin that Jesus was, was sitting by the treasury and people were putting their money in the treasury. And the, the rich were coming in, they were casting in much, and, and no doubt they were making a show of it. But then there, there came this poor widow, and all she threw in was two mites, a tiny amount. Now, people probably didn't think much of that. Maybe they thought much of, wow, did you see Joe, how much he's given, you know? But this poor widow, just these, these two little mites, didn't, didn't amount to much. And probably nobody really took notice of that, except Jesus, right? He said, I say unto you, this poor widow hath cast more in than all those that cast money into the treasury. For they all cast in of their abundance, but she, out of her, her want, her poverty, and the, the striking part about that story is she cast in everything that she had. Her next meal. Even, it says, all of her living. She was brought to nothing. But she wasn't going to neglect this gift. She gave from her heart. And the Lord looks upon the heart. And to him, that gift was very costly. And that is the spirit of true giving. Giving 
when it may even hurt you to give. And look, we've all felt that tension, that struggle, right? Maybe, and I'm not talking about some preacher laying a guilt trip on you to give. But the Holy Spirit genuinely moving you at a particular time to give. And you really know that he does want you to part with something that may, be, may hurt you a bit to do it. But you kind of hold back. You struggle. And you sort of rationalize. But I got this bill coming up. I got this or that. So this woman had the spirit of true giving. She gave when it, even when it hurt to give, to give. And somebody said, when it comes to the pain of giving... It seems that most Christians have a very low threshold of pain. And that's probably true, right? I saw that a survey taken a couple of years ago among the four mainline denominations. They calculated that the average Christian in the four mainline denominations gave 2.8% of their income to the Lord. 2.8%. That's really not painful giving. So I just want to go through some general teachings on money or giving. And the gift of giving will relate them to that. The passages I'm going to cite do not require much explanation for the purpose of this study. They speak for themselves. To say everything or to teach everything that the Bible would have to say on the subject of money would, would would take a great deal of time. And you have to go through it very carefully. You have to make what I call dispensational distinctions. And what do I mean by that? Well, one example would be the law of the tithe. A lot of people preach tithing, tithing, tithing. Tithing was for Israel, never for the church. So you need to make the dispensational distinction and apply those kind of teachings correctly. That is not to say that we are not to give. The tithe in the Old Testament really was taxation. amounted to about 23.5%, not 10%. So it came to about 23.5%. The New Testament teaches not a specific amount, but liberality, as we read with the Macedonian churches, proportionately, generously, and we'll talk about that. So let's just look at the New Testament in a couple of verses in the New Testament, and uh, we'll start with Matthew 5.42. In Matthew 5, I hope I have these right. Sometimes I put them down wrong. If we do, we'll just move on. But in Matthew 5.42, it says, Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow, from you do not turn away. Do not turn away. Now, you, you have to exercise discernment because there are people who will take advantage of you. But this is really getting to the heart issue. I mean, just, just don't hold your fists so tightly that if there are genuine needs, you won't open up your heart to them. Or somebody has some, some a good reason to borrow something from you and you can do it. You're not going to possess that thing like it's your treasured possession and worry all about things like that. And then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in, in heaven. Now, what good is that? So then he goes on. He says, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, don't sound the trumpet like the hypocrites. He says, I have their reward. And again, give in secret. That's the teaching. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Verse 19, chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust doth destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I quoted this before. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Are we doing that? Are you doing that? Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the real, really important part here. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So what are you treasuring this morning? What is the thing that really has hold of your heart? What are you treasuring more or above God? And the things that would be done for his glory. Mark 12, we had that one in the bulletin, so I'll skip that one. Verses 41 through 44, that's the story of the poor widow. How about Luke 18? Luke 18, verse 18. This is the story of the, the, the rich young ruler. You know, he wanted to know what to do to, to inherit eternal life. Good teacher, he says, in verse 18. And then Jesus says, well, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is good, and that is God. And Jesus is drawing his attention to who he really is. He was that one. So then he tells, Jesus tells him, you know what the law says, right? Don't commit adultery, murder, steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, etc., etc., etc. And then in verse 21, this man says, all these things I have kept from my youth. Well, you just bore false witness, right? But, that, but that's not what the Lord is getting at. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, oh, well, you, you're not quite there yet. You haven't hit that mark of perfection yet. You still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. Because that's where that man's treasure was. Distribute it to the poor and then you're going to have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Make a clean break with that which is holding you from me. Keeping you from me. But notice verse 23. When he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. It's like Rockefeller said when they asked him, how much money is enough? You know what he said? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And then when Jesus saw that, he became very sorrowful. He said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle. And Luke being a doctor, this is, this is hyperbole. Luke's a doctor. He's talking about a surgical needle here. He's not talking about a gate that the camel has to stoop down and, and put all this packs on and then go through. You may have heard it. He's talking about a surgical needle. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then the natural question is when they heard this is, who then can be saved? And he says, well, with men these things are impossible, but not with God. Amen. John the Baptist. And you go back in Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist, Luke chapter 3, verse 8. John the Baptist was a fiery preacher, right? Came out of the wilderness, it says in verse 2. He was preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, calling the nation to repentance. He cites the passage written in the book of Isaiah. 
about preparing the way for the Lord, making his path straight. Every valley will be filled, mountain will be brought low, crooked places made straight, rough ways smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God when Jesus comes. And then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, I don't know (laughs) that you get away with this today, right? Brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And, and do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say that to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Now he's talking about this report, repentance and judgment. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, well, that's, that's quite a message. What then shall we do? What kind of works of repentance shall we do? And look what he says. He who has two tunics, let him give one to someone who has none. I mean, that is right down to earth. And he who has food, let him do likewise. If you have abundance, if you have more than really you need, why are you holding on to that which is above what you need? Give it to somebody who doesn't have anything, who doesn't have a coat to keep them warm, or doesn't have food so that they wouldn't go hungry. Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 33 Look what he says. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Well, I have to tell you, there are a lot of preachers who who claim the name of Christ who covet people's silver or gold. I don't know if you saw the story this week, some Pentecostal preacher. They have them on YouTube now, video, and, you know, it's gone viral. Not the thing you want to go viral for. But he he was ridiculing and berating his congregation because he asked for a designer watch at the first of the year, and they didn't give him this designer watch. And he was chastising them for this. And there are, there are plenty, of, plenty of people, preachers, who fit into that category. They can't say they didn't covet silver, man, silver or gold. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities. Paul was a worker. A gospel worker, and he was also a laborer, day laborer. For those who who were with me, I I have shown you in my way by laboring like this that you must support the weak, support those who can't. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, who said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now you can't find that quotation in the New Testament, but it's under inspiration here. So this is what Jesus said. 2 Corinthians 8, we'll look at that passage in a bit. 2 Corinthians 9 was the scripture reading about the generosity of the Macedonian churches, encouraging the Corinthians to give likewise. How about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28? Ephesians 4, 28. Paul says this, writing to the Ephesians. Let him who steals, steal no more. Right? When you become a Christian, things change. Right? Let him who steals, steal no no more, but rather let him labor. Let him work. Working with his own hands what is good. 
Why, Paul? So that he may give, have something to give to those who have a need. If you don't work and you don't, you're not a good steward of what the Lord has given to you, you don't have things to give to people. I remember, you know, I took martial arts for years, and, and one of the things on our dojo wall, you know, where we, where we went to train was, it, it was a simple saying. It said, be strong so you can help others. You know, and it was talking about just, you know, strength, in, in physical strength, and just be strong of character and so forth. And, and the same is true of money. You know, if you, don't, if you don't manage your money well, you don't have money to help people out with. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. First Timothy chapter 6, 10. And people misquote this verse. They say the love of money is the root of, of all evil. But it's, it's a, they say money is the root of all evil. But this scripture says for the love of money, covetousness, the desire for money is the root of all kinds of evil. All sorts of evil. And we all, we all know that. We all hear the reports of things that happen. Because people coveted money. For which some have strayed from their faith in greediness. And pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You ever real? You, ever, you probably know people who win these big lottery things. You know typically what happens to them? They pierce themselves through with many sorrows. And then a lot of them say, I wish I never would have won that money. It's just brought sorrow and heartache into my life. So that's the story there. Verse 6, 1 Timothy verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out, right? You'll never see a U-Haul in a funeral procession, right? I mean, it's not going with you. Stuff you have accumulated in your garage is not going with you, or wherever it is. Have food and clothing, and having food and clothing, with these shall we be content. I mean, that's the same echo of what Jesus taught, right? For those who desire to be rich, fall into a temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in the, in, in, in the destruction, in destruction. So then it goes on, quote the verses that I just gave to you. All right, now look at 2 Corinthians 8, because this is the main focus, really, that I had put down on your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I should read the first couple verses, and then we'll go over it again. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In verse 1. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, they were not rich churches. But notice what he says. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. One of the churches of Macedonia was the church of Philippi. And, and Paul just really had nothing really bad to say about the church of Philippi. I mean, they were just a... a you know, people who loved the Lord, people who were willing to help part with their money even though they didn't have much. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and, and here's, the, here's the key part, beyond their ability. 
they were freely giving, freely willing. In other words, (laughs) even if it hurt, they gave, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus as he had begun so you would also complete this grace in you as well. Come on, Corinthians, follow this example. As you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in in diligence, in, in love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. And then he gives the prime example of what this ultimate supreme giver is. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, his humiliation, his incarnation, his death on the cross, his not relinquishing or not holding on to the, the, the glories of heaven like a prize that he couldn't part with, but he came through his poverty, you might become rich. So this teaching applies to all Christians. Those with the gift of giving really put it into practice. What you see here in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Macedonian churches practiced grace giving. It's not legalistic giving, it's grace giving. means that it comes, it stems from the spirit of grace within them. The Holy Spirit within them. Hebrews 10.28 says this. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. That was the law. How much sore punishment do you suppose shall, shall he be thought worthy who has trodden down underfoot the Son of God, who hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, cleansed, an unholy thing. And then he adds these words. And has done despot unto the Spirit of grace. Mock the spirit of grace. So I point this out just to point out that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace. Here in this passage, it's teaching that when the Holy Spirit brings someone to the point that they receive the full knowledge of what Jesus did in dying on the cross and shedding his blood, and they reject it, they are insulting the spirit of grace. God reaching out to them in grace. So, in other words, they are renouncing the Spirit's work of conviction and the preaching of the gospel. Let me just give this little disclaimer, not disclaimer, but statement. I have no tolerance for Christians of any kind who manipulate people to give money to their cause Because they are, in essence, rejecting the work of the Spirit of grace in the heart of God's people. And the glory which should go all to God. And not not to some clever appeal. Not to some high-pressured telethon. Not not some message of guilt. Or message of a promised tenfold blessing, which you hear all the time. On the airways. Now, I know you don't because you don't watch them. But some people do. Prosperity preachers should be banned from the airways and thrown out of the churches. Every single one of them, they're a scourge on it. Joel Osteen included. 
He is a prosperity preacher. His dad was a prosperity preacher. He doesn't preach the gospel. You say, how do I know that? Because on Easter, one Sunday, he was doing a message, and, and he was being interviewed, actually, and they asked him about preaching on, on, on sin. And he, and he said, I don't preach on sin. I don't preach on hell, and I don't preach on damnation. Well, how on earth can you preach the gospel? That's what he said. Those are negative things. People are beaten down by life, he says. They want to come to church and they want to feel good. And they want to feel uplifted. And that's my message. So no talk of sin, no talk of damnation, no talk of hell. Just let them go to hell. But let them feel good about doing it. That's, that's the message there. Those with the gift of giving are grace givers. It's the spirit of grace working within them that prompts them to give. And therefore, grace giving is giving at times beyond the means to give. That's what he said. How, how in a great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberalities were the churches of Macedonia. For to their power I bear record, yea, Beyond their ability, they were willing of themselves to freely give. Beyond their ability. The ESV translates it this way. For in a severe test of affliction. Now put yourself in the circumstance. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, beyond their means. And they gave of their own accord, no manipulation. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Who does that? And this, not as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. A man with the gift of giving will extend himself to give to others in need. That's what this is teaching. They gave beyond their availability. It hurt them to give. Not many people do that. John Wesley died with only a coat and a silver spoon as his earthly possessions. But in his life, it's estimated that he gave away $150,000, which today would be in the millions. His gift of evangelism was accompanied by the gift of giving. George Mueller's estate upon his death was $850. In the course of his life, in answer to prayer, he raised and gave away the equivalent of $129 million by today's standards. He gave it to orphans. He gave it for the printing of hundreds of thousands of Bibles, hundreds of thousands of gospel tracts, orphans, Food for the, for the orphanages. Care for the orphans. His faith was accompanied by the gift of giving. How many of you have ever eaten Kraft cheese? You know, those little plastic cheese and those, you know, those little wrappers, you know, that you throw on hamburgers. and They don't taste good until you get them on a hamburger, right? That, he, Kraft, James O. Kraft started that company in, around 1903 with a horse a paddy wagon, and he would go to, to these places that made cheese, and then he would buy the cheese off of them, and he'd go and he'd have a route, and he'd distribute the cheese. He was a very wealthy man. He became a very wealthy man. 
but he was a very, very generous man as well. Because right from the start, he says, I'm going to give 25% of all my profits to the Lord. That's what he, the Lord put upon his heart. But you know what he said in the latter part of his life? People would think, wow, what a foolish thing to do. He said, the only investment I ever made that paid consistent increasing dividends is the money I had given to the Lord. Now, if you put money in the stock market, you probably, it's up and down and so forth and so on, and you're hoping that over the course of time it's going to you know, end up at a certain plateau and you're going to be okay. But that's an uncertainty. He said, the only investment that I've ever made that paid consistent increasing dividends is the money that I had given to the Lord. Grace givers give themselves first to the Lord. People with the gift of giving, they've given themselves to the Lord. They make themselves available for God to use to bless others. In other words, they are channels of blessing for the Lord. That's all they are. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he owns the hills too. And all that they do, all that the money that these people get who have the grace of giving, they just see it as, as coming from the Lord to others, and they're just the conduit. They're just the channel to bless other people with. They give themselves first to the Lord. That's where everything, every service gift starts there. We serve out of a heart of love for God. We exhort people out of a heart. We, we show mercy out of our heart, and we give out of our heart. Grace givers have a heart devotion to God. Warren Wiersbe said, giving is not something we do, but something we are. In our heart, we're generous. We're modeling Christ, who became, though he was rich, became poor for our sake, that through his poverty, we might become rich. Those with the gift of giving, give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not under a standard that was given to Israel under the law, but a grace giver. For God loves a cheerful giver. And the word is hilarious. That's really where the Greek word comes from. Our word hilarious comes from. God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, these people get deep joy in giving. Deep joy in giving. So we're going to conclude with some general observations on the gift of giving and some applications to get the people with, you know, giving in general. Number one, people with the gift of giving see needs that others do not see. They, they, see, they see needs that others do not see. Other people sometimes will walk right by those needs. It's like the people with the gift of helps. I mean, they'll see an obstacle, they'll, you know, and they'll pick it up, or somebody else will stumble, walk right by it, or leave it for somebody else to pick up. They'll, need, they'll see something that needs to be done, while other people will just, you know, just, just ignore it. So people with the gift of helps. People with the gift of giving see needs. Number two, not only do they see those needs, they are eager to meet those needs. They have a zeal to relieve burdens or contribute to a worthy cause for the Lord. But I will add this, they are discriminating. 
They don't just give willy-nilly to every kind of a petition that's offered to them or given to them. They have discernment, and we need to exercise discernment when it comes to our money. That's part of good stewardship. Number three, they do not have to be admonished or encouraged to give. They don't have to put pressure on them to give. Number four, they find great joy in giving. It's not a burden to them. As I said, they don't feel pressured to give, but they're ever ready to give. And I, w- I think for the most part that when they do, they, they buy good quality things for other people. They give. If they're going to give some material thing, it's not going to be a worn out shirt that they're passing on to somebody else. Churches, long time, years ago, used to have what was called missionary barrels. You know what missionary barrels? All the junk you want to get rid of. Give it to the missionaries. Now, I, shouldn't, I should take a little bit of that back. Sometimes people did put good things in there. But generally, people who, who have the gift of giving, they're going to give something that's, that's better. It's not junk. They do not seek, number five, recognition for their giving. It's entirely between them and God. A lot of times they just choose. Most of the time they just choose to remain anonymous. Number six, they are generally good financial stewards. I talked on this before. If you incur debt, it it hinders your ability to give. So you need to be good stewards. We're all supposed to be good stewards. That's why I tell people, listen, if, if you don't have a budget, how on earth do you know where your money is going? How, how on earth do you know what you are wasting and what, what could be put to better use and that you're meeting critical needs first before you're going buying something else? You young people, have a budget written down. If you need help with it, this fellow right over here will help you with it. Mark, right? He was an accountant. But, but Mark, right, Mark, right? You got to have a budget. <laughs> this church has a budget. Our country has a budget, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> We're trillions and trillions of dollars overspent in debt. We'll never get out of it, right? Republicans or Democrats, all they do is keep increasing the national debt. Sooner or later, sooner or later, got to pay for that. Deuteronomy 8.18. As I said, people with the gift of giving are generally good stewards, of their money, they realize it comes from God. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, But you will remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you the power to make wealth. That was under the old covenant. But God was still telling them, If you got money to give, it's because I've blessed you. Then He may confirm His covenant, which He swore to your fathers, as is this day. And then lastly, something I mentioned before, they're not looking for a material earthly reward for their giving. That's, that's not what it is all about then. Now, I'm going to close with, with a couple of things. God gives us money, right? You have money to some extent. Why does God give us money? Number one, God gives us money to provide the, for the needs of our family. God gives us money to provide for the needs of our family. First Timothy 5, 8, and those within our family circle, you know, maybe parent, older parent, somebody else can't care for themselves, but in 1 Timothy 5, 8, it says this. If anyone does not provide for his own, his own family, especially those of his own household, mother, father, whatever, he has denied the faith 
and is worse than an unbeliever. So God gives us money to provide for the needs of our family. Secondly, God, God gives us money to meet the needs of others who are unable to meet them. They're just in, they've gone through hard times. Let him who steals steal no more, but let him labor with his hands doing that which is good, that he may have something to give to those who are in need. So God gives you money to take care of your family and those close to you, and he gives you money so that you can give outside your family to people who have need. That's what the Bible teaches. And then this one is, a really, uh, I think, a really good one. God gives us money so that we can make friends for eternity. Look with me in Luke chapter 16. Almost finished. Luke chapter 16. He said to his disciples, verse 1, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. An accusation was brought to him that he was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I'm hearing about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Now, this is the shrewd steward. Then the steward said within himself, what am I going to do for my master is taking away the stewardship from me? I can't dig. <laughs> I'm too ashamed to beg, right? I don't want to work and I don't want to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I put out of my stewardship, that they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said, to the first, how much do you owe? He said, 100 measures of oil. He said, take your bill, write it down quickly, make it 50. To another, and how much do you owe? So he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill and write 80. On and on. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly, you know, earthly wisdom. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say unto you, Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That's money, right? There's nothing spiritual about it per se. That when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Jesus means that just as the unrighteous steward used his master's money, to make friends for himself so that they would receive him into his house. So we should use our master's money to make friends for ourselves in heaven. And, and maybe you don't think about it this way. But I, 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 I thought about this. Think about the gift that you give that leads to the salvation of a soul. You have a friend in eternity. Long after you are gone and all your money is gone, you will have friends in heaven because of your support of the gospel here on earth. That's an incredible thought. And that's a little plug for our upcoming missions conference. <laughs> because we're at that time, we are going to take up a special offering. Maybe this year, not just for the speaker, Perhaps we'll, we'll get more than we expect and we'll be able to send our missionaries an unexpected gift or, or put it toward a gospel project so that we all collectively can make friends for eternity. 
You imagine that? Going to heaven and, and meeting people. Meeting people, of course, you never met them on earth. But because you supported the gospel, they got saved. You and others. And all of a sudden, wow, what a joy. That, what a time of rejoicing that will be. But heaven's going to be wonderful, isn't it? So many incredible ex- things that we have to look forward to. And it truly will be worth it all when we see Jesus. So may the Spirit of God, the Spirit of grace, work in each and every heart so that we're not greedy, so that we're not hoarders, so that we're not trying to accumulate things upon this earth. That just as we have freely received the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will freely give. And that, would, that may mean give of our material means so that people could come to know the grace of God. Thank God for his unspeakable gift. And thank God for those with the gift of giving who give not to be seen of men, but the store of treasures in heaven. Lord, thank you for this time. Bless the words that I have spoken, Father, today to our encouragement and to our admonition to our instruction. In Jesus' name, I pray.